Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. We saw last time, Luke told how Paul met with the Jewish leaders in Rome, pronounced Isaiah's word over them, saying, this people is going to be unwilling to hear until there's just a tiny remnant left. Paul pronounced that word, and then Luke rounds off his book with these words. Verse 30, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the certainty of the kingdom. We know who we have believed and we know that he is faithful and that his kingdom is spreading. We praise you for the greatness of the kingdom. We praise you that the kingdom keeps spreading through receiving all comers and through teaching about Christ with all boldness unhindered. Help us, Lord, to admire your servant who did that. And we pray that you would help us as well to have so much certainty of the kingdom that we too would be willing to speak of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been, as I've mentioned, 80 weeks in the book of Acts. There's a treasure trove of the wisdom and knowledge of God here. As Luke documents for us the spread of the kingdom from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. He ends with Paul here in Rome preaching the kingdom. Right, the last verse of Acts speaks of the kingdom of God. Luke brackets his book with that to remind us this whole book is about the kingdom. So Luke's major point is here, that the kingdom is certain. And his two main subpoints are also here. The two subpoints are that the kingdom is greater than any kingdom servant. He's highlighted that over and over. And then the kingdom keeps spreading. The kingdom doesn't go to Rome and stop. The kingdom goes to Rome on its way to the ends of the earth. So if you recall, we saw at the beginning of the book how Jesus spoke with his disciples and told them many things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke starts Acts by telling us that. Then he reminds us how Christ, as king, sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples. The Holy Spirit, in the, or through the disciples, breached the temple boundaries, brought people who were excluded into the temple, thrust out the existing temple leadership, and then went to the Gentiles through Peter, meeting with Cornelius, and then through Paul and his missionary journeys. Then there's the Jerusalem Council in which the apostles, the elders, went back to Scripture, to Leviticus 17, and found three major regulations that apply to strangers dwelling with Israel and sharing their faith, which is no strangled animals or blood, nothing offered to idols, and no sexual immorality. And they brought out those biblical teachings and spread them through this apostolic letter that they sent to the churches to obey. And then the rest of the book, from there on out, chapter 16 on, tells of Paul's missionary journeys, and then in chapter 19, his decision to go to Rome. We've seen 
how Christ reigns in all of that. Bringing men and women under his dominion, that's the most important thing that Luke has been describing for us. The reign of Christ over human persons, taking them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We've also seen, of course, the reign of Christ over the weather in the shipwreck narrative in the previous chapter. We've seen the reign of Christ over the machinations of the politicians with the Jewish governors and kings, or the Roman kings who tried to get Paul to give them bribes, and put him in custody and things like that in chapters 20 through 25. Uh, we've seen that Christ reigns even over the obstinacy of the Jews, which Luke highlights here in the end of Acts chapter 28. We've seen the reign of Christ. The kingdom is certain. The kingdom isn't confined to a few streets in Jerusalem. It has made converts all over the Mediterranean world. So Luke is telling us, just like I told you in the beginning, Theophilus, so I say now, you can add confidence in what you've learned. Don't think that the Christian faith is fake news. It's not. It's true. It's not disinformation. It is what really happened. Jesus really reigns. Nothing can stop his kingdom. That's the main point of the book of Acts. And that, of course, we apply to ourselves by asking, first of all, do I believe this? Do I believe in the certainty of the kingdom? How certain am I that Jesus Christ reigns? How willing to compromise on that point would I be? How open am I to suggestions that Christ doesn't reign here or there, maybe over a certain sin that I don't want to give up, maybe over a certain fear that I like to indulge, oh, this thing or that thing is bigger than the power of God and it's going to come and eat me. The reign of Christ speaks to our sins and to our fears. We should have no doubt in our mind that Christ reigns even over our less than ideal circumstances, whatever they might be. And that's the main theme. Well, the second sub-theme that Luke uh, brings out with great prominence here is that the kingdom is greater than any particular servant. I mentioned this last week, but everyone comes to the end of Acts and says, why doesn't he narrate the death of Paul? All of those readers have not been paying attention because Luke doesn't narrate the death of anybody. He doesn't finish out the story of anyone. Okay, he tells us about Stephen's death, he tells us about James's death, and how that relates to a certain episode of growth in the Jerusalem church. He doesn't tell us about the death of any of our main characters, right? He doesn't wrap up Peter's story. Peter just drops out after the Jerusalem council and we never hear of him again. No one gets to the end of the Acts and says, why doesn't he narrate Peter's death? We've already forgotten that Peter dropped out. But from Paul's nephew to Simon the sorcerer to the python-possessed slave girl, Luke brings these people in, tells about a key moment in when their life when they interacted with the spread of the kingdom, and then drops them and moves on. Imagine if he had one of those little epilogues where he told what happened to all the characters. Philip's four daughters married Paul's nephews, and they had tons of kids and were faithful Christians to the end. Or Bernice moved on to marry some other client king, but she always had a soft spot for her brother Agrippa. Luke doesn't have 
one of these things. I read a nonfiction book this week where the author actually did this to the point of saying, this house that's mentioned in the story last sold in November 2009 for such and such amount of money. Like, really, I'm even hearing about the eventual fate of the house. Luke doesn't get into that. He has more important things. He has bigger fish to fry. What is his point? Servants come and go. The kingdom is the thing. Peter comes in. Church spreads under Peter. We move on from Peter. Luke comes, or Paul comes in. The church spreads under Paul. The church is more important than Paul. And so on. Right? The Bible never says what happened to the Virgin Mary, if it comes to that. The only person, if you will, whose story is told all the way through is Jesus. And even he, the biographical information, is pretty limited. The New Testament writers are not interested in the question of what happened to all these people. Any more than the Old Testament writers are interested in the question of whatever happened to Jonah. How did Jonah die? Or what happened to Nathan and Gad in Solomon's court? Right? They, the kingdom is the thing. Servants come and go. It's a very vivid illustration of the truth that if you seek first the kingdom, the rest will fall into place. This is what Jesus promised. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added. Luke says, I am interested in the story of the kingdom. And so far as that involves Peter, Paul, and James, I talk about Peter, Paul, and James. When it stops involving Peter, Paul, and James, I move on. The, what happened to Paul and Peter? Right? Luke's answer is that it doesn't matter. That's why he doesn't get into it. The kingdom is what counts, and the kingdom is doing just fine. Right? And churches... We show this by not going in for pastor religion. The whole thing of, I'm in this church because I love the pastor, and if anything happens to him, I will move on to a different church where I can equally fall in love with the pastor. Luke is saying, no, that's not what it's about. Paul is here for a while, and then Apollos is here, and Apollos takes over, and then Timothy is there, and then there's somebody else. Each one of us is expendable. That's part of why Luke doesn't tell anyone's story to the end. We're not interested in the name of the sub-sub-librarian in Jesus' palace. We're not interested in hearing about the undersecretary of the environment for the kingdom of God. We are interested in the king, whose administration does not change because he rules by the power of an indestructible life. That's where Luke firmly has his gaze. Jesus reigns here and here, and here, and here. And that's why he doesn't tell us what happened to all these characters that he brings in and drops. His final sub-point, or other sub-point, the kingdom keeps spreading. Luke is not telling us how Peter and Paul lived, he's telling us how the kingdom lived, and how it continues to live. And he gives kind of four things, prescriptions for the future. The first thing the kingdom needs to do is welcome all comers. Paul received all who came to him. He was a prisoner. He couldn't go out in the streets and do street evangelism anymore. He wasn't going to synagogues. But people came to him. And Paul received all who came to him. My grandfather often says that churches used to put on their sign, all welcome or everyone welcome. And they've stopped putting that on the sign because 
not everyone is welcome. And they, there are certain people they don't want in their church. But there's, right, there's something to that, but the massive, it's massively outweighed by the other side, which is that every healthy church wants to grow. Every healthy Christian recognizes God has given me an overwhelming gift, and I should share this. This is not something to be hoarded. This is something to share. So who is it? Isaac Watts, we long to see your churches full. Every believer does. Because we want to share this good thing that we have. Paul was welcoming everyone who came to him. Right? Just as he told the Romans, just as he told Philemon, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. He lived that out in Rome. There were a lot of visitors, one can imagine. There were plenty of people who lived in Rome, plenty of people who traveled through Rome. Paul had some celebrity status by this point. A lot of people wanted to see him, and he welcomed them all. By and large, those who want to be in church are welcome in church. Yes, there's legitimate precautions about sex offenders, stuff like that. Luke isn't getting into that, because that's a tiny, tiny fraction of anything the church does. The overwhelming thing that we do is receive people. Church is about growth. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. Are you one of all nations? Are you part of all peoples? Good, you're welcome. Come in and praise Jesus with us. The second thing Paul did, besides receiving people, making them feel welcome, is that he preached the kingdom of God. We don't just offer hope and salvation and forgiveness of sins, as good as those things are. We offer the world put right. The coming of the kingdom, when Jesus will reign, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. Paul proclaimed that. The world came under Satan's dominion, that the world is in Satan's lap through the fall, and that Christ is reclaiming it for the Father. He preached that, and he made no bones about that in his rented house there in Rome. A church that fails to preach the kingdom is a church that, well, it's like a church that fails to welcome all comers. It's not living up to its birthright. The church is a welcoming place, and the church is a place that describes the kingdom. We don't just celebrate Jesus as a great artist, a champion of beauty and joy. He is. But we also preach him as king and say he is to be obeyed. He's not just a man with good ideas on how to decorate your life. He is a man who has authority over your life. Paul was very clear about that in his preaching, and certainly we know that he was based on his letters. Paul preached the kingdom of God. Paul taught the things that concern the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his main thing. There's many facets to the Christian faith. Right? You can have, and some churches do, endless prophecy seminars, endless marriage seminars, endless investigations of the philosophical or political implications of the Christian faith. But a church that puts Jesus on the back burner is a failing church. Paul brought Jesus to the front burner, as it were. The main thing that his teaching was consistently about was who Jesus is. And Luke gives his full title that he is Lord 
He is the one who rules the cosmos and the individual human being. He is Jesus, a human person whose name is Savior. And he is Christ, the Father's anointed one sent into the world to rescue it. Luke says that Paul taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just one facet of his identity, but every facet of his identity. This is clearly not just saying, and here's what Paul did. That's kind of interesting. This is Luke saying, church, stick to this from now on. Welcome all comers. Preach the kingdom. Teach about Jesus. People in the pew need to know that he is God, that he is man, that he is the Father's anointed one, that he is the descendant of David, that he's the descendant of Abraham, that he is the subject of the four Gospels, that in fact he's the subject of all of Scripture, that he is the ruler, that he is the judge, that he will return and set things right. People need to know this, and if your church is not teaching this, then you are failing to live up to how Luke concludes the book, just saying, Right, he's had other great fourfold summaries, the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship, the Breaking of Bread and Prayer. This is his last fourfold summary. Welcome, preach, teach. And then the final thing is the description of how he did it. He had all confidence or boldness of speech. This word has come up before in Acts. The Apostles had great boldness of speech with the Holy Spirit on them. Luke tells us that Paul had that still when he got to Rome. He wasn't mealy-mouthed. He didn't beat around the bush. He wasn't afraid to speak about Jesus. I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think, Matteo Ricci, the Jesuit, who censored the crucifixion out of his brief instruction on the Christian faith. But Paul did not do that. Paul spoke with absolute boldness and confidence. He had great power and freedom in his speech. And the other condition under which he labored was no one forbidding him, as the King James has it, or unhindered boldness, as other translations say. As one commentator said, finally, no one is telling him to stop. Everywhere he's gone, he's been told to stop. In Ephesus, in Corinth, in Athens, in Thessalonica, in Jerusalem, Paul is hushed up. But finally, he gets to Rome, and there, he is not hushed up. No one says, Paul, please shut up. No one forbids him. He's got a guard chained to him. He's under house arrest. But what they haven't attempted to do is censor or suppress the word. And that, I don't think Luke is necessarily telling us that this will be how the church is from now on. The church will have freedom to speak. I think that may be the norm. Historically, it's a little hard to tell. But certainly he's saying that when you have that freedom, you should use it. Paul had the freedom to speak, and he didn't say, oh, I'm in Rome. I think I'll just, you know, enjoy the city. Go see a few gladiator fights and be a tourist. Right? Paul was not a tourist. Paul spends his time laboring on proclaiming Jesus. So, when no one's hindering you, church, use great freedom and boldness of speech. That is something the church needs to do. A church that isn't clear on what its message is, is a church that, again, is failing.
Well, that church says something about Jesus. What do they say about him? I don't know. That's a problem. Paul spoke boldly, with confidence, no one forbidding him. So say what needs to be said about Jesus. Luke leaves us with the final challenge. Are you so certain of the kingdom that, like Paul, you are willing to talk about it? Is that conviction in your heart? This is definitely true, regardless of what other people say or how they take it. That's where Paul was. That's what he did. And Luke is telling us, you can be there too. You won't be an apostle, but you can have boldness because you're certain of the truth about Jesus. So that's where Luke wraps it up. The kingdom is certain. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is greater than any particular servant. We will play our part and drop out. The kingdom will continue. Join the kingdom. Stay with the kingdom. You'll never regret it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your kingdom is certain. We ask for the global church and especially for our own church that you would help us to welcome all comers. That you would help us to proclaim the reality that Jesus Christ reigns. And that you would help us to focus our teaching on his identity, on who Jesus Christ is. That he is Lord, that he is the Son of Mary, and that he is the Son of God, anointed by you, his Father, to come and save the world. Lord, we pray that that good news could be proclaimed everywhere and believed everywhere. We ask for your kingdom to spread, for your kingdom to come, and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.